Perfect. Let's do this. Let's do this. So <laughs> we are live. We're going live. We're going live. We're going live. We are definitely live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to live stream number 78 of the Date on Kubernetes community. It is good to be with you here today. It is August, August 24th. Exciting day to be meeting, to be learning about Kubernetes. Just as a quick reminder for all of you folks out there, we've done 78 live streams and we're about to do our second KubeCon, our second co-located event in KubeCon, and you can be a part of it. I'm going to leave the CFP right here, all right? If you haven't checked out the CFP, we are looking for end-user focused talks where folks can talk about working with stateful workloads, writing stateful workloads on Kubernetes. We mean databases, we mean operators, we mean networking, we mean analytics, different things. If you have questions, you can always ask in Slack. By the way, if you're not in our Slack, why are you not in there yet? Also, make sure you click like right now on this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Always got tons of stuff coming out. Now, today we have a very, I'm not gonna lie, pretty controversial topic, all right? I always give this example. About five years ago, I was working in a software development company, and I remember when we got to the battle between TeamCity versus Jenkins. It got so ugly, all right, talking about tooling, that some people were threatening to leave the company, some people really got their feelings hurt. It gets really, really intense. We start talking about tools, some people's sort of sensitivities come out of the woodwork, some people get really attached to a tool, our guest today, Javier Ramos, um, very bravely wrote a very cool post that I'll be linking in the, in, the, in the chat as well. So you can check that out. Talking about a lot of tools on Kubernetes in 2021, right? Now this article came out a month ago. First of all, Javier, very, very nice to have you with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you started working with Kubernetes and then a little bit about how you got into this world of tooling? Okay, sure. Um, so definitely, yeah. Um, this uh, I wrote this article based on, on my personal research, um, especially because over the years, like I've been in software industry for a long time, and the last let's say four or five years, like most of us, uh, I start looking into Kubernetes as a way to uh, basically uh, simplify the the, the, the the basically this big monolith mess uh, that, that I was used to. I come from the Java enterprise world, um, SOA and all this. So I don't know if, uh, so some of you may be old enough to uh, remember those days. And um, and then I got into more cloud native microservices, domain driven design, uh, all this, especially big data and DevOps. Kind of that could, could be, my profile could be summarized with that. Uh, well, first I, I don't like to, you know, when they told me, well, are you a backend developer, front end? I love React as well. Uh, so I'm a, a bit of everything, right? So I don't like to to to, to just uh, uh, be part of something. I like also machine learning and all this. So that will be my background. Then I got into DevOps and and uh, uh, work on, on many clouds. I work from very small startup, like 30, 40 people, um, to big companies. I was working for IBM, Oracle, and this type of companies as well. Um, so, so I have those experience in different clouds uh, from GCP, Azure, and AWS as well. Um, so that, that's that's basically my background. Okay, no, very very good. Now the thing is, you in this article, which I which I've linked down the YouTube chat, so folks want to check that out. It's quite an exhaustive list. I mean, like there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in there. Obviously, today we're not going to be able to get all of to, to all of that. But I'm I'm just curious, like, because uh, for a lot of folks that are starting out with Kubernetes, it gets really overwhelming. You know, I think there are lots of memes and you know showing like 
well, if you want to learn this first, you have to learn these other six things. In your case, was that similar or how has your learning journey been with Kubernetes and then also particularly with the tooling? Exactly. Uh, you are right. Uh, it all started uh, talking with a friend who's a front-end developer and he was complaining how many JavaScript frameworks there are. And I was like, okay, hold my beer. <laughs> wait, wait for it. <laughs> that now it's coming Kubernetes. Uh, yeah, it's true. There are way too, too many. I think Kubernetes, I think, got uh, the first step right, that right level of abstraction, which is kind of low level. So it's very easy to build on top of Kubernetes. And that's why there's so much tooling uh, available. And, and one thing has to do also with the fact that there are very similar products on the market and uh, mainly comes with, especially with the Kubernetes adoption, what I've seen over the years is that um, this cold thing, I, I call it, I don't know if it's a real term, I call it accidental complexity, which is uh, mm -hmm. when, when uh, basically you go and build something that is already out there because you don't know about it. So you tend to complicate a lot more the problem. So I've seen it in many, many, many times that every organization build their own orchestration tools for orchestration pipelines or monitoring tools or CICD, especially with their own custom Jenkins. So lots of things when there's a product out there. So my research for this article is uh, uh, my goal to uh, basically remove this accidental complexity uh, because, you know, uh, you know, how do I do a multi-tenant deployment, right? Uh, I, should I go and start implementing my own network policies and start creating all this? Or there's a tool that already does that for me, right? So that was my, uh, my why I, st I started looking into these tools and I wrote the article based on my research. Very, very good. Now, when it comes to tools and preferences, what do you think generally are factors that influence those things? Is that my boss likes this tool or I saw this talk in KubeCon, so I like that one. Where do these sort of preferences, in your opinion, generally come from? Um, that's a good question. Uh, you'll have to always look at pros and cons. Uh, one thing I always ask is somebody comes with a proposal, let's use this tool. I always ask, where are the alternatives, right? And you saw that my articles divide all this. This tool, this is the one I know, but there's these alternatives that, uh, you know, uh, that you should look. So uh, first of all, always have uh, compared. Don't go with the first one you find because you saw a video or something. Uh, compare what's out there. And then align that to your company principle. For me, it's very important each company have these high-level goals, you know, how the company works in terms of how risk adverse are. You know, people uh, make fun of Google because they're killed by Google project that they, um, you know, so many projects go wrong, but that's a company that takes a lot of risk, right? And some of them become really, really successful, right? But not all the companies can afford to be that. So from the top of the company, I think the first step is define, you know, uh, uh, at the CEO level, right? Define what's your attitude, how, and then translate those company values into architectural principles, you know, kind of the CTO will manage that and create that type of things, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, what type of approach? Are you cloud agnostic? Are you investing 100% on Kubernetes? These are big decisions for the whole company, right? Um, or are you going to always be attached to one cloud, which is much easier? So this type of decisions, right, in terms of approach. And then architects after that, they'll create more specific patterns, you know, use this or that, use this tool. And then if you have that background, you know, you have from the company values and the architectural principles, then it's a lot easier to uh, choose a tool. But if there's no consistency in the organization, it becomes really hard to choose one or the other. 
I think that's a really good point. And so when approaching the decision-making process, whether it's one or the other, is going back and saying, well, what do our values tell us? Uh, you know, and how does this architecture align? I think it's a, it's a really, really good question because it, it is also true. People that work on tools make a lot of noise about it. There's a lot of, if you can call it marketing or content or whatever that's going out about it. So then there's this sort of pressure and immediacy or what's used in marketing very often of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Um, that then kind of pushes people, no, we have to decide right now, or we really have to make a decision. When, like you said, maybe taking a step back, looking at, okay, what kind of guidance or governance do we have regarding all of our decisions, whether it's with tools or not, and looking at values, I find that to be interesting. Anyway, I don't want to take, I could talk about this all day. What kind of tools do we want to look at today? What do you think are the things that are, that are new, that are hot, that are, that are extra relevant? What, what do we, what do you want to take a look at today? Exactly. So uh, the idea is I have a few slides where we're going to review the tools I talk in the article. Uh, if you think about it, these are um, basically the um, tools I think either the uh, are very important. So and those are going to re mention very slightly. I'm going to say, hey, use Helm, but Helm is quite popular already. So I'm not going to spend so much time on that. And I'm going to talk mainly on the ones that I think they are less famous, but they have a lot of potential to become uh, the next big thing. And especially focus, I'm very fond of GitOps, right? Uh, so most of these tools, um, uh, they follow that. Uh, and that's why in the alternative, you say, maybe I put a tool and there's alternative that uh, is maybe as good, but I put it there because it's not as GitOps friendly as the other. So for me, I, I love to have everything as code, even the architectural decisions are in JIT. So the same principle for me, like REST was successful because you already have this um, uh, common language, you know, gets batch put and all that. I think with Git, with the PR requests and review and the history and the, the decision process, you can leverage on that as well uh, for, and all these tools uh, leverage on that or most of them, which are good. Um, so that's why um, there to, most of them, they are Egypt Ops friendly. Um, okay, that's good to know though, as, as a sort of, you know, that you're coming up with this perspective as everybody has their own background and perspective. That's fine. If you want to, mm. uh, if you want to share your screen, go for it. We can start taking a look at these more in depth. Just once again, as a reminder, folks, feel free to put any questions, doubts, suggestions that you have in, in the chat and we'll, we'll deal with those accordingly. Exactly. Perfect. Uh, let me know if you can see yep. my screen. Yep. Perfect. One sec, because uh, okay. oh, I was go. clicking share. Nah, no worries, Press, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Okay. Hopefully now we'll load. Yep. Should be getting there soon. Yeah, one sec. I don't know why it's the full screen not fully working. Oh, that's okay. Let me reload this. It's funny, we, we're always talking about these very advanced technologies, but okay. then the problems that we have with uh, PowerPoint presentations and, and things yes. like Zoom, it's always incredible. We're always running to the, uh, these issues and then, okay, but uh, you can see it now on my screen, right? Yep, yep, got it. Perfect, uh, okay, perfect. So let me see, okay. So that unit is very simple. There will be a quick introduction, then we'll go to see the tools. And if we have time, uh, we'll go into the Q&A. Again, about me, I already talked, so I have been in the industry for uh, quite long. My background is big data and DevOps. Uh, if you share these uh, slides later, uh, and then these are my contacts. If you want to uh, follow me on Twitter or subscribe um, to my articles in medium.com, you can click uh, those links. And uh, we'll probably will share the slides after, okay? 
And, and this is more or less what, what I was talking. I think most companies tend to reinvent the wheel a lot, especially in DevOps and Kubernetes. And some examples are orchestration tools, CI, security. I've seen many companies doing the same thing over and over again, uh, where there are tools out there that does that. And that's what I call this accidental complexity. It's not they do it uh, on purpose. It, it's just uh, engineers, they they want to design things. So the first idea is, oh, I can do this by myself. So they go and do it. And they spend sometimes months, if not years, doing something that is already out there. And especially in Kubernetes, because it's open source friendly, people tend to release it. And most likely, somebody has done this before. So always uh, do your research. So this article is based on my own research. Uh, again, um, I, I will focus again on the newest tool, especially the GitHub friendly tools. and. What my goal is to answer always the question of how can I do X in Kubernetes, right? Uh, especially for people who are used to do certain things uh, in other platforms. So, and they're wondering how can I do this in a um, Kubernetes friendly way, you know, all the declarative nature and so forth. And again, just a quick disclaimer, this is just my own research. I'm not an expert on any tool. And, and, and some of them I barely touch, some of them I use quite a lot and I have expertise, but if you see there a tool, feel free to stop and make comments. Let's collaborate here. Um, if you have, a, you know, a, a, or know another tool that may be similar, um, that, that happens when I release the article. I got uh, a lot of feedback and some they suggest other tools and I've been updating it. Uh, so, which is really cool. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I appreciate your comments, suggestions, and uh, in the Q and A, feel free to suggest other tools. Or if you are uh, probably there's some people in the audience they may know a lot more uh, about some tool than me. So, feel free to also make comments and and suggestions if you have experience with any of these tools. Okay, so now we will go really fast through all these tools because uh, we don't have much time and there are, I think, over 20 of them. So let's start uh, uh, with the simple thing, how I, I run a Kubernetes cluster on my laptop. For me, the best option is K3D, which is basically a wrapper around um, K3S, which is, it was created, uh, I think, by Rancher. I think it's the company behind it uh, that built a very lightweight version of Kubernetes based uh, to run on IoT and, um, and other uh, basically edge devices, right? And uh, and then it's a wrapper using Docker, so then uh, you can run it very easily on your machine. So it's very lightweight and fast. Again, the alternatives uh, kind is quite popular now, and then Minikube and MicroKS are, are all the alternatives. All are used to run uh, a local Kubernetes cluster. Okay, my recommendation is create, uh, again the, uh, K3D because it's very lightweight and easy to use. Then the next thing is, uh, you know, uh, using kubectl, uh, there are lots of plugins available. So I use Crew to search over 145 plugins. I recommend always to use QNS, basically to be able to switch between namespaces easily without typing namespace this, namespace that. So Context does, does the same, especially when you have several contexts, so you manage several clusters. And it's very useful. So this is another tool for me essential in Kubernetes. And these are for me must-haves. 
Uh, then we move to IDs. Uh, some people don't like them, uh, but if you like uh, um, IDs, Lens is, is, is built for Kubernetes, right? Uh, I think I can show really quick uh, how does it look, but it has so many options. You can see your workloads, the number of pods running. You can have here pin your different uh, clusters. Uh, you can see your any jobs, the configuration, the network storage events. Uh, configure pretty much everything and, and it's very fast and the UI is really, really nice. So I really, really uh, recommend this idea. Um, if you are the type of uh, ops guy that writes terminals, then uh, K9's, uh, this approach um, is also a very lightweight terminal. So it's all in the terminal and it's also really, really interesting. So just your choice. If you want a full UI, I think Lens is based on Visual Studio Code, if I remember properly. Um, and and K9S is uh, based, it's just a terminal. Also really, really good. Uh, again, if you have any questions, uh, let me know as well. Um, then, of course, Helm is an all must have. You need package manager in Kubernetes if you are doing uh, something serious in Kubernetes, right? Uh, again, it has the templating engine. You know, let's not get into what Kubernetes is. It's very important. Uh, I mean, onto what Helm is. Um, Helm is mature, has lots of different chart support and uh, is widely used. So I'm not going to get into details. I only want to mention customize, which is uh, another approach. Uh, it's not exactly as Helm, right? Uh, but uh, um, it's another way to, to deploy apps. And I haven't used customize, but I heard really good things. So if there's any customized user um, that wants to talk about the difference, uh, uh, welcome. But also have a look to customize before jumping into Helm as well. Um, and then moving to GitOps. So as I told you, I love GitOps and Argo City is basically a tool for, um, for GitOps, right? Uh, again, I like to store everything as code, follow the, the same principles and uh, keeping one source of truth. So what Argo CD uh, does is just watches your repo. And, and if you want to make a change, right? So for example, you it's very common to have a repo per, uh, per environment. So you have your dev, your production cluster. So uh, you have different environments. And then what you do is if you want to make a change in production, you open a PR, the same thing that you, you do and if you open a PR, it gets review, then it gets merged uh, and that's how it works. And you have that history, that uh, uh, notion of audio, uh, it's easy to audit, uh, to trace and so forth. And Argo CD can monitor basically JIT repos, but can monitor any, any repo. That means that it can monitor your uh, Helm charts, repo, uh, anything, right? So another approach, if you want to use, if you are using Helm, is to uh, have your uh, um, your source code, right, with your dev cluster. So you have your definitions there. And uh, basically, you say, I want the app that is de deployed on this uh, Helm repository. So when there's a new version of the chart release, uh, deploy it. So for example, you could have your CI-CD pipeline that then uh, promotes a version of, uh, of a Helm chart, gets deployed, and Argo CD automatically detects a change, watches that, and makes the change in the cluster. So you don't need to do anything imperative. So the for me, the key of in Kubernetes is that declarative nature, that you have these control loops that check and, uh, and control that what, what's running on the cluster matches what is in the Kubernetes CTCD database. For me, that's awesome. It's the best thing ever. 
And now ArgoCD extends that to, uh, to uh, uh, RGT repo, and that's the same thing. It's always constantly in a loop, checking the, the repo, any changes is synchronized with the cluster. So if something is deleted from, from the definition that you have in JAML in, in, in your repo, um, then it will delete it as well from the cluster. So for me, this is awesome. Um, and again, as I mentioned, it's implemented as a Kubernetes controller, controller which continues monitoring applications and basically comparing the state. That's basically what Kubernetes does with pods. Now uh, you do it with pretty much everything because if you use, for example, any extension, like we saw, now we are gonna see all these tools that are GitHub friendly, what that means by being GitOps friendly, it means that they can integrate with Argo CD and Argo CD can watch them. So for example, if you have a batch job or workflows and use Argo workflows, which use their own custom CRDs, um, you can actually put them there and Argo will also watch them and release them as well and detect them in the UI and, and you'll have your jobs there as well. The alternative to Argo CD is Flux, uh, which is very, very similar. I think there were very some, a lot of issues didn't work well in the previous version, but I heard good things about the latest version. I haven't used it, uh, but I heard it's very similar. So I don't have uh, strong opinions about it. So if you are not using, my recommendation, Argo basically is a bunch of projects. Uh, we'll talk about Argo rollouts, Argo workflows. So my su suggesting if you are using Argo products, use Argo CD. If not, really consider um, Argo CD and Flux. Both are very similar, so um, just, compare the small difference and, and make your own decision because these ones are really close, these two. If we continue with Argo, of course, I have experience with all the products. So again, um, and if you use Argo CD, uh, Argo workflows integrates very well, which is basically an orchestration engine. And this can run, actually, Argo workflows can substitute Jenkins. It can run, actually, CI-CD pipelines. It can run data pipelines as well. It, it, it can be used, uh, you know, as a cron job to run batch jobs as well. So everything that, that, you, that requires this type of uh, workflows, um, it's really, uh, it's used. And the cool thing is it uses their own custom CRDs. So everything is defined as YAML. Everything is defined as code in your G repo. Argo CD can watch those changes, right? So it's very integrated really well with GitOps principle. Meaning that if you want to change basically my a job that runs at midnight to something else, you go to Git, create a PR, and that's, that follows the same things. All your configuration is in the code. Um, that's awesome. And, uh, and again, similar to whoever use Airflow, it's the same, but it's, it's you know, the problem of Airflow is, is that um, basically it, you have to manage it the way it scales. It's, it's, not, it's not very scalable. And our workflow is fully Kubernetes, so it takes advantages of uh, all the highly available um, offers, retries, uh, Chrome-based jobs, uh, it can um, uh, track uh, input and output, and, and much more. And, uh, and they integrate with Argo events. So now Argo workflows and Argo events for separate projects. Now they've been kind of tightly integrated. Argo events uh, adds the kind of event-driven thing, actually close to, you know, uh, serverless type of things where you can integrate with third-party services like Kafka, webhooks, queues, deep storage. So you can react to something upload to S3 
and that can trigger a workflow. So instead of being Chrome-based, you can create these things that uh, some file gets up, uh, uploaded or some there's some ingestion going on, goes into the data lake. Now you can react and run your in, in many, many pods because our workflows is very scalable. It will create lots of pods, so it can scale very, uh, very well and can react to these things, um, read from the file that was uploaded, do some ETL, store it somewhere else. So it's very good to do the data pipelines. So alternatives to this are, well, um, again, Argo workflow is very generic. I could be used also for ML pipelines, CICD pipelines, but if you just care about ML pipelines, there's Kubeflow, which is a Kubernetes ML ops type of tool. And that's to uh, basically do machine learning pipelines for the whole model lifecycle. And if you just want CICD pipelines, Tecton is another tool that is just focused on CICD. Where Argo workflows is more generic. It's, it's, it's a DAG, you know, uh, and you set dependencies and you can do pretty much every, anything you want. Okay, uh, let's see how we are doing with time. Yeah, I'll try to go fast. Um, another great tool, um, again, uh, I've been doing this for a long time where I have my pipelines and I have my build. I have to build my Docker images. And one thing I will do is run it inside a Kubernetes cluster or inside a container. And then you have the problem of Docker on Docker, right? Uh, uh, this big issue that um, you tend to do this type of things where you mount the Docker SOG. This is very ugly, it's not safe, it's not secure. I have to admit I've done it in the past uh, because I have to run my tests. Those are integration tests, so they bring a Postgre database or a Mongo database, uh, and I need to, to run containers inside containers, and it's really ugly and, and things like that. So Canico allows you to basically do those um, images, uh, building images within Docker, so uh, within Kubernetes. Um, so if you need to build Docker images inside Kubernetes, use Canico, it's a Google product. Uh, and it's, it works really, really well. Uh, for me, unfortunately, I discovered this after I've done the bad way and, uh, and, and, and I regret, but if, if you still have time, have a look before you start building your, uh, your containers um, in, in the wrong way, because it removes all these issues regarding building these images inside Kubernetes. Um, um, so definitely a must have for building uh, images in your CICD pipelines. Okay, this is another one, I say uh, another beast in its own, it's a service mesh. Um, that could, we can talk about one hour about service mesh, uh, but I, I like to, to summarize saying that service mesh is, is basically used to run microservices, that's overly simplified. Uh, right, but basically, as this, um, it allows you to uh, add these capabilities like observability, traffic manager, security. So everything that you usually put in your project, like oh, I need to authenticate, I need to control errors, I need to uh, do some traffic management, I need to monitor all that. Uh, basically, is done in, in a proxy that uh, is injects as a sidecar in your pods. Again, it's much more than that. It offers a gateway. It offers so many things. Uh, it doesn't allow, but basically if you run uh, microservices in Kubernetes, uh, consider using a service mesh. It's just the most popular, but also I don't have the uh, preference. There, there are alternatives. I put them there. Linkerd is also quite famous and super lightweight. And console is, is one that I look more, um, especially when uh, you want to stand the service mesh outside Kubernetes, right? It's still, you can do it, but it's, it was mainly for Kubernetes. What at least is, is 
uh, some people may not agree on this, yes. Uh, it's not mainly only for Kubernetes, but I think console integrates more with a hybrid type of uh, a, a, a environments where you have on-prem Kubernetes, but everything is controlled within the same networking control plane of the mesh. So I, I also like console in, in that way. Again, so just bear in mind, if, if the idea is if you are building microservices and you uh, have complex services, of course, you need to use um, hand charts, but also consider adding Istio. It will simplify things and remove the um, duplication. Moving again in the Argo project uh, type of uh, Argo, Argo has really, really good projects. So I, I'm a big fan of, of all of them. And one thing, um, Kubernetes, the default strategy, when you deploy something in Kubernetes is the normal rollout process, right? And the way it works, it, it's very simple. So Kubernetes will create another replica, bring on one pod, run the readiness and liveness prod, the health checks. Um, and uh, the, if the, everything is fine, then move to the next pod and so forth. So you you, you have uh, you know this type of uh, uh, zero downtime deployment, which is great. Also automatic um, uh, rollback if it's not healthy, uh, but it's not enough because basically if you want to control the traffic that goes into the release, if you want 1% uh, of the traffic, you cannot do that or you have to have lots of replicas. Uh, it, it's not super uh, complex actually. For me, Argo, um, I mean, the Kubernetes normal rollout is not enough to do a continuous, continuous deployment. It can do it, but you don't have that trust on your uh, automation. For me, uh, the, the idea of, you know, for those who are not aware of the difference between continuous delivery and deployment is continuous delivery, it needs a manual step. And if you need a manual step in continuous delivery, it's because, um, you don't trust fully your automation, right? And it's true that if, when I do deploy something in production Kubernetes, the normal rollout process is not good enough for me to have that confidence that nothing is gonna break. Of course, you should follow continuous integration, so have a small changes, so nothing big will happen. But the idea is, is, is have more advanced strategies. And Argo rollouts allows to add to Kubernetes the, all these advanced uh, strategies. Uh, especially Canary. That's basically what I see the potential. I can also do blue-green strategies, but the idea of uh, doing Canary with experimentation is the strongest points of Argo rollout. So how does it work? Um, uh, very simple. So you'll have your micro microservices, you do a deployment and you create a plan in Argo rollouts, right? Where, um, again, your development teams and you as a developer, you should have lots of metrics, not only on the node or in the pod, like error rates or that. So most of these metrics, if you use, still you'll have them for free, like error rate, latency, and so forth. You can have your own custom metrics that you add onto your service, depends on what it does. So observability is key. Like for me, I'm, I'm fan of stop testing and get good observability, and then you won't need so many tests, right? So you create really lots of metrics, everything detailed. Uh, and then you create this plant that you send to Argo rollout. Again, YAML, everything uh, can be stored in, the, in code, GitOps friendly. And you said, okay, I want 1% of traffic, wait five minutes for Prometheus to gather the metrics of this 1% that is going there and compare to you know, the real production environment and see if there's, uh, and then you put rules, whether it passes or not. So for example, if the latency has increased or the error rate has increased, then, um, 
Argo rollout will uh, roll back the deployment. If not, we'll move to 10%, 20%, and just set up this experiment. And that's called experiments because they wait for metrics to uh, be captured, and then you compare the features. And that will give you the confidence that, yes, I can go to production because I can detect anything. And when somebody says, uh, you know, I'm doing continuous deployment, uh, I'll be, you know, cautious to say, well, really, uh, if they are not using this canary, because either they are a bit, uh, let's say, crazy that they are going to production with testing, uh, without testing properly, or, or they are using canary. Canary for me is, is the enabler of continuous deployment, right? Because it gives you that trust, you, you trust uh, observability. And so with Argo rollouts, you can do this type of uh, canary releases, which are awesome. I, it's very hard to see them in real world uh, again, and that's why many people still, many companies, they, they still do this type of um, continuous delivery, whether it's the manual step, you test it by humans, and, and that's it. And, and for me, the problem is, is observability. So get good metrics, and then you will convince your manager that you can deploy to production without human intervention. Alternative is Flagger. Again, you remember we said Flags is alternative for Argo CD? Um, sorry. Um, so Flagger is the alternative of our rollouts uh, as well. So if you use Flags for your uh, GTOPS and that watches all the resources and so forth, and then use Flagger, which is similar functionality to Argo rollout. So it uh, depends. These are two competing. I think there are two different companies. I'm not aware of all this, but they are similar tools. Um, so I haven't had enough time to look into Flux and Flagger. Um, what, what I could have see is that they are quite similar. So, uh, and if you go with Flux, go with Flagger. If you go with Argo CD, would go with Argo rollouts. It wouldn't make any sense using Argo rollouts and Flux, for example. Okay, so uh, check both of them. And then Spinnacle was the, the first tool I heard about continuous delivery, right? And it has lots of features, but uh, my opinion is this a bit more complicated to use and set up. But again, if you are a Spinnaker user, you may disagree with me. Um, so it's, again, that's, that's, again, depends on each tool. Again, tooling is controversial. Okay, um, let's move to my new favorite tool. Well, I, I get excited about a tool and then I have another favorite tool. So, but this one is my new one, um, new favorite tool. So it's cross-plane. It's still on its early days, right? But for me, one problem I have is, is you know, every everyone knows, but lots of people uh, work in the cloud, right? So you work in AWS, GCP, or um, Azure, or whichever cloud you use. And you are running Kubernetes, it's super efficient. You're running Kubernetes very cost efficient. You have uh, node pools with uh, spot instances which to, to run my, um, you know, high available service that they can go down. It's okay, very cheap. You have everything, um, but sometimes like, running uh, complicated things, even stateful things like a Cassandra cluster, a Kafka cluster, or, or even an optimized Postgre database. You know, that's why everyone say, oh, don't run a database in Kubernetes. Well, depends on the database. There are databases that run well on Kubernetes, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, Cassandra could, could run well if you, um, um, basically set up properly using CPU pinning and uh, local SSDs and so forth. There, there are ways that you can run databases in Kubernetes, but sometimes it's not even worth the hassle of maintaining a Kafka cluster or a Cassandra cluster, uh, and you may use a cloud service instead. Like for example, DynamoDB is an amazing database that in AWS has. 
um, big table is another one I use is quite cheap uh, and uh, works really well so you may want to use some of these services and now you get into this confused uh, state of okay and now i have argo cd i have everything in the tops but then i have these external services that are managed and have a completely different life cycle right and you tend to of course use terraform and to, to create those environments but then the focus gets you know uh, messy because now you have a repo with uh, your infrastructure and your code and again i'm fond of having everything together they, uh, so if i run microservices my microservices defines also the infrastructure that it needs uh, and now it's, it's uh, very complicated because now I, I need a RDS instance or a Cloud SQL instance, and that's managed by us elsewhere. It's it's really uh, complicated. So Crossplane tries to solve this issue of if you create a deployment file YAML to uh, to um, create a service or Argo workflow definition to create a batch job. Uh, if you want to create a RDS database, you also use a YAML definition. So it uses, uh, again, uh, custom resource definitions, like all these tools, like and uh, to spin up third-party services, especially cloud services, right? So now it's all this issue that you can have everything in code, Argo City can watch it. And it's really cool because Argo City could watch that definition. You have your YAML file defined, I want a cloud database, right? And it, 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 Argo CD watches that repo and then creates that database in AWS or in GCP, right? So it manages the third parties and it still is, is, is a control loop, meaning that if you go to the console and you delete the database, after a few minutes it's back up because basically Argo CD is, is watching that uh, and recreating and, uh, and Crossplane is also uh, monitoring the resources. So uh when they say that you know terraform in terraform you, you cannot achieve this level right in terraform you will need to run the pipeline again to terraform uh, apply terraform will tell you the difference uh, the that shift between uh, drift on configuration between production and the source code right so yeah infrastructure code is great terraform is great but it's not constantly watching right uh, you need to run the pipeline and then terraform will tell you okay there's a drift click apply and I'll, I'll now it's matching the source code Right, but with crossplane, it's actually always watching. Right, so if something happens in production, you need you don't need to run crossplane apply. Right, it's actually always like Kubernetes does. When you delete a pod, it will create another one because you specify three replicas. So this is really cool. It's actually bringing Kubernetes in, extending to the third party. So for me, it's it's, it's finally the, the bit I was missing. Right. So now I don't need Terraform to create resources. I do everything in YAML and using GitOps principles um, and integrating with Argo CD. For me, this is amazing. Uh, the only price crossplane is still early stages. Like for AWS, you can have lots of resources. Uh, GCP has less support and Azure even less. So not all the services uh, AWS has over 200 services, and not all of them you can create with crossplane. But they provide a nice API. And if you, especially if you work in a company, you want to contribute to this project, please do because I think it has a lot of features and it's very easy to add a new service to it. And so um, you, you can, uh, if, if you are interested, play around. And if a service, I don't know, uh, for example, imagine that uh, Kinesis is not there, I'm not sure. You can add uh, a plugin uh, and, and use this. But again, it's an awesome tool for me. Uh, I love Terraform, but if, when Crossplane is more mature, I 
don't see myself using Terraform anymore. And that's our alternative Terraform. Uh, Pulumi is another one, if you haven't heard, um, it's an alternative to Terraform, uh, but it's, it's, it uses uh, basic programming language, it's still that complicated. Well, complicated, no, I love Terraform um, language, but it's it, it, because of declarative nature, it's harder to test. Right, so if you want to do tests on your infrastructure as code, look at Pulumi, it's quite interesting. But if you can do it with crossplane, do it with crossplane, it's the best choice. Uh, but again, be aware that it's not super mature project yet, So, but I see a lot of future. Okay, uh, just conscious of time. Uh, again, here, Kinetic, uh, there, there's open fast and few other things. Um, it, serverless is awesome, right? Um, I use it many times. I have a talk, so if anybody's interested, I, I did a talk last year a lot comparing serverless and Kubernetes. This is a huge topic. For me, both are similar and the level of abstraction is dif different. But if you're interested, let me know or get in touch with me. And, and uh, uh, I have another article. Again, go to my articles and see the difference. Um, but the problem with serverless and AWS Lambda is that it's very tied to the uh, cloud provider, right? So it's very hard to do a cloud agnostic or cross-cloud uh, hybrid thing, uh, serverless deployments, right? Uh, but in Kubernetes, if you are really invested right, into Kubernetes, right, because you want to run in any cloud and be completely cloud agnostic, but you want to have this type of event-driven applications based on functions, then you'll use Knative uh, to run functions. So basically it's abstraction over on top of a pod to run really short-lived uh, tasks that react to events. And actually there's a, a overlap here with our events because our events could react also to uh, something uploading in S3 and run. Um, so in terms of that, there's a bit of overlap, but our events runs in a normal pod, there's no abstraction over a pod, uh, but both are, 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 are similar. So if you want to run functions as a service on top of Kubernetes, look at Knative or open, open fast as well. It's another alternative. Um, again, for me, it's those, those questions, remember that we, uh, with Bar, we were talking about uh, how do you choose one tool of the other? Well, it depends on your company. So your company is investing in AWS and is so investing in AWS that there's no way they are going to move from AWS. Then don't go implement all this thing in Kubernetes. Just use serverless AWS Lambda. And that's fine. I, I'm totally, f f I love serverless, but for me, it's very hard to be cloud agnostic, right? Um, and some companies need to be, they need to be deploying any cloud. So in that case, Knative is great. Okay, sorry, there, there are a lot of tools. So, uh, but we, we're almost done, I think. And, and then hopefully we'll have some time for a short Q&A. And I'm sorry, of course, I don't have time to demo all these tools. Uh, so maybe later, uh, let's go and in, in wait for the Q&A. Uh, if people are interested in seeing any tool in particular, then maybe we can organize something and, and, uh, and do a demo of a specific tool. Anyway, uh, moving to Kiverno, one thing uh, that always happens as in, in big, large organizations is that you need to control what developers do. So um, uh, for me, I'm really open to, you know, it's should be independent and all that, but there are certain things you need to enforce, especially for security reasons, and to make sure that somebody goes and 
basically start using all the resources in the cluster. Uh, everyone, uh, you know, probably you are familiar with resource and quotas and how to manage that in Kubernetes, uh, but uh, also network policies and so forth. And so, but that's basically the problem is very hard to manage, right? So Kiberno basically is, is a policy engine, right? And people who use open policy agent may be familiar with similar, it's, 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 it's a way to, to set policies on a cluster, right? But Kubernetes, again, is GitHub-friendly, it's native to Kubernetes, it's based on YAML, so no new language is required, like open policy, where there has these rules definition that you need to learn. Uh, with Kiberno, you use regular YAML that you're familiar with in Kubernetes to write policies. And they can validate uh, all types of even mutate Kubernetes resources. So even uh, basically imagine that um, you know uh, you create a deployment that has root access. So it can even deny it, or it, it can even change that. You can even set the rule that mutate and remove that root access, right? Uh, it can also have audit mode, so you can decide to stop this user trying to deploy this or just audit and you'll get notified, right? Uh, so you can audit this policy, especially as you implement them, uh, you can audit first on the first wave, you set up the rule, you see if any anybody's, um, you know, have a rule that is breaking uh, um, this, this new policy. And if that happens, then you can notify the team and the team can change it. And then you move to the enforcement level where you don't allow any users to, to use that. And that's to avoid, again, this, uh, networking issues uh, uh, and security. So if you want to have policies, so two nine spaces cannot talk to each other, you can force that as well. Um, again, the alternative is open policy engine, but uh, uh, open policy engine is not Kubernetes friendly uh, or GitOps friendly, that's the problem, but it's, it's, it's more famous as well. Uh, the next thing is uh, related to the open application model. And um, at the beginning, I did mention that I like the abstraction of Kubernetes because it allows to build lots of tools and it's quite low level, right? So the problem of Kubernetes is not that easy to get started. It's a complicated, uh, basically, a tool to learn, uh, especially because of this low level that you need to understand Tens and toleration, network policies, volumes, the uh, you know um, the uh, Kubernetes networking, how it works. Uh, but most of the time, developers they just want to build applications and deploy them, uh, and don't think about all these issues, right? Oh, do I have enough resources? So do I need to have auto scaling? So uh, the open application model was created to overcome this problem. And the idea is to create this higher level of abstractions around applications, right? The, which are independent of the runtime. So it's abstraction on top of Kubernetes, but it could be on top of anything. So you can, uh, it's not even native to Kubernetes. It's a, a way to say, okay, I can deploy anything uh, the same way, whether it's in Kubernetes or not, right? And uh, QL is an implementation of this uh, open application model. If you haven't heard it, uh, again, all these things that you see in the slides are links. So we'll send it after and you can click and read about it. Um, but um, if you are working a big company that is invested in Kubernetes, you probably notice this friction that developers need to learn a lot. Uh, at the end, they don't build fully 
a cloud native solution. For example, in Kubernetes, if you build a service, it has to be self-healing. You cannot just connect to the database and if it's not there, fail, because you know in Kubernetes the database pod could have been deployed after yours. So you need you you cannot rely on time kind of things. So you need to build your software different and it's complicated. So if you just want to build applications, uh, the, the open application model is very interesting, especially for large applications. And the way it creates abstraction of uh, incubate applications are first class citizenship is, is a resource in Kubernetes, like you have a deployment or you have a pod, you have now applications. Um, again, everything implemented in YAML, uh, GitOps friendly, everything that I've been saying is GitOps friendly because it's YAML, it's configuration and can be stored in Git or any code repo. And the idea is you have the, the platform team and the application team. The platform basically uh, manages the cluster, right? And the different environments, the defined components, uh, you know, anything that could be deployed, it's a component, uh, like for example, a hand chart. So th this platform team create hand chart and then create traits. So a trait is basically to alter the behavior. So for example, um, a component will be a microservice and a trait could be auto-scaling, right? So, and then as a developer, I, as you go and say, mm, I want an application that, oh, I'm interested in auto-scaling. So I take that trait, right? And developers define this application by assembling the components and traits. So that's the application model. It's really cool, really interesting. And uh, definitely check it out for bigger things. But as I mentioned, for me, I'm not too convinced of, of this model because for me, I think the level of strategy of Kubernetes is quite right. I know it's awful that you have to learn so much, but I've been in many cases, uh, you know, especially dealing with machine learning tools and things like that, that uh, you really need to know how Kubernetes work. And some examples are the, the ones that I'm talking about that, uh, for example, um, if you have a go microservices that is completely stateless, you may want to run this in spot instances to save money. So you need to know how Tains and toleration or node selector works, uh, which in Cubella uh, it will be hidden. So it will, for the cluster operator, wouldn't know uh, if that should run on, on spot instances. Uh, they wouldn't know, like, you know, there are a lot of things that you really need low level, especially to optimize cost and, and security, right? And so that's why I think is to, for me, this is for a real world usage is too high level because yeah, you're just thinking of a normal hello world type of microservices, but then there are services like Elasticsearch that, you know, in Elasticsearch you have hot nodes, warm nodes, cold nodes. It's much more complicated because you may, you will have different node pools and different workers um, uh, in Elasticsearch will run. So in different type of node pools, so you need to add this extra configuration. So in real world, you have this advanced uh, settings in Kubernetes, like you may want to have local SSD here, so CPU pinning enabled to this. So it, it, it's just uh, too high level for me. The, the thing will work for normal applications, but uh, I don't know of any big company that has implemented this model. And if anybody knows, please let me know, uh, because I, I wonder how this could work. And I, the only I, the only reason why I put this is because it's GitOps friendly, 
And because I think companies trying to achieve the same thing as here, creating these high level abstractions, uh, starting by creating a hand chart for all people to use. Oh, this is a microservice hand chart. Now everyone goes and uses it, right? And then they become very expensive because they all run using the same resources. And, uh, you know, so if you are a DevOps guy trying to build towards this by creating um, tools that enforce network policies, all things like that. Um, make sure you check Cubella because probably you are more or less trying to achieve what Cubella does. Um, but be careful. I'm always more inclined to have everyone in the organization have a good level of Kubernetes or at least per team have a Kubernetes expert than then going to this higher level of abstractions that then uh, may not fully work. But that's my personal opinion. Anyway, uh, for alternatives to Kubella, uh, Shippa is, is one that I had a look. Um, it's, it looks similar to me, but I haven't played around with it. So if anybody knows it or have played with Shippa, um, I think the problem is if Shippa, you have to pay for it, uh, but uh, let me know. And of course, I forgot to mention most, all, I think all of these tools should uh, are open source. Okay, so that's why uh, Shippa didn't put it there. And then Cage, um, it's another tool that uh, it was recommended for me after I, I created the article. Um, and, but it's using mainly command line interface to deploy applications. So with Cage, it's really easy using Cage to um, deploy in Kubernetes using command line. But again, that's not GitHub friendly, right? So uh, that's, the, that's why it's not there on the list. Um, think I put it there again to answer the question. So how? Uh, mitigate security and compliance and all that in Kubernetes, uh, uh, then use uh, this tool. Um, uh, I, I actually, I, I haven't used it myself, so if somebody's using it, again, feel free to contribute. Uh, and Falco is, 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 is another tool that can check threats at runtime. So for security, just check these tools uh, and that will answer the question how I you know uh, monitor uh, possible threats uh, for my applications running Kubernetes, then you use these tools. Okay, we're almost done. Um, the last tool is, um, I think it's the last one. No, we have two more, sorry. So DevSpace is a development tool for Kubernetes. It's, I mean, you should go, it's hard to demo here in a slide, but this is another tool I recommend, just install and play around with it because it's really fun. It, it, it's for you to actually, um, uh, develop uh, in the Kubernetes way. So one thing that I usually do in Kubernetes is actually to use Docker locally. So I have a Docker Compose file, and then I have my hand charts and my definitions and so forth, right? But there's a gap, like especially because uh, different environments like Windows versus Linux and so forth, it's not the same, right? Uh, so you run your application in a pod that you have a Docker file, and uh, and then you have a different environment for local de development. So the space, the most thing, the, the most important thing is that it has this hot reloading. So that means that every space will launch a, a pod locally in your laptop with your code and will watch the files. So as you code, like you're changing your Python files, your JavaScript files. Uh, the change will be copied to the pod. So you are running actually an actual pod in actual Kubernetes cluster in the, using the Kubernetes ecosystem, but having that really nice developer experience, right? With the confidence that it's gonna run the same way in production. So um, it's, it's really, really cool tool uh, 
Uh, again, I haven't tried with compiled languages. I don't know if, uh, if it will work with Go or C++. If you have used it, please mention it uh, uh, in the in the Q&A. Um, the next tool is what happens if you have a relational database and you need to handle uh, uh, schema evolution, changes on the database. And many of you probably heard of liquid base is the most famous alternative, but again, not Kubernetes friendly, not G12 friendly, a schema hero is your solution. Again, you use YAML, you use Kubernetes resources, and you can manage the side state. So again, it's declarative in the nature that it will compare your database against the, your definition in your source code and basically manage any drips on the configuration. Again, you can use Argo CD and perfect. So schema hero for databases. Another thing, if, if you, you're probably thinking, oh, GitHub is great, I can put everything in Git, but you, I cannot put a credential there, right? That's why we have vaults, right? To store this credential, rotate them, your keys, your API keys and all that. Uh, but then you create this thing. Everybody's aware of Kubernetes secrets that basically, well, as long as you control access to ETC database, they are there uh, and perfect. You can consume, mounted in your pod and it's awesome. Secrets are awesome, but how do you get the secrets into uh, your Kubernetes cluster. If we use GitOps, you want to have all the resources, deployments, uh, everything in YAML. And your secret, your secret, your Kubernetes secret is another Kubernetes resource that also is YAML. But you know, you don't want to put that in Git because it's secret. Again, uh, Seal Secret is used to do that. There's also Kubernetes native, has a control loop. And basically you can have in JIT now your secrets. So you have uh, uh, your secret definition in case it's called seal secret, uh, which is fully encrypted and secure. You have it in source code whenever you deploy it. So you can use Argo CD as well. And you say, okay, this is my secret. And what it does, the controller looping in the cluster will detect, oh, this is a seal secret. Now I can securely decrypt it and convert this seal secret into a normal secret. And now I can have everything in source code, GitOps principles. Uh, the alternatives are or not uh, GitOps principle. I use SOPs in the path. I actually, because of that, my CI/CD pipeline needs to call SOPs, decrypt, and then create the secret in, in Kubernetes. But you have to have that step, right? Where you yourself have to manage that, which is not ideal. Uh, get the, the secret from the vault and then decrypt it. So again, have a look to um, seal secrets. And uh, okay, we, we have two minutes. So uh, one thing again uh, is multi-tenancy. So many companies they, they have uh, they have to have a cluster per customer, for example, and that's super expensive. And uh, and they end up doing these custom things where they have namespaces, but namespaces they are just logical partitions. They they are not fully isolated. They are not secure. So they end up implementing network policies, super complicated stuff. Um, so this is some some problem that is now in Kubernetes that is hard to have multi-tenancy. They are working now on the hierarchical namespaces, which is still in alpha release, I think, to overcome these issues. But the idea is to have a parent nine space per tenant with common network policies and quotas for the tenants, and then allow the creation of namespaces, child namespaces, right? So you create your hierarchy, and then you could have a bit of multi-tenancy by having this hierarchy. But it still is not, uh, they, don't, they call it hierarchical namespace and not multi-tenancy because it's not there. 
Anyway, so Capsule is a tool which provides native support for multi-tenancy. So basically in a single cluster, uh, you can have multi, multiple customers that are completely isolated, right? They, they will use the cluster like if the cluster was their own cluster, right? Uh, there is just some minor restrictions, right? For example, they won't be able to create a namespace, so they will notice that they will get an error. So because actually uh, that's managed by, by Capsule. But basically, it's hidden the fact that the cluster is actually shared, which is great. And of course, ZipDoc friendly because it's all managed by YAML and configuration that can be stored in JIT. And go another step further is Big Cluster, which is, can be used for multi tenant. It offers multi cluster. This is really cool. Uh, have a look to it. Uh, but basically, it, it's cluster runs on a regular namespace and it's fully isolated. Actually, what it does behind the hood is actually remember K3S that we talked is a very lightweight version of Kubernetes. So basically, uses that uh, service to make virtual cluster super lightweight, right? Uh, and then you can use Cube Context to access the virtual cluster. So you, the cluster actually creates a fully compliant because it uses K3S API cluster on top of your real clusters. Okay, so it's 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 like uh, it, it saves you lot, lots of lots of money, right? Because you have a, uh, the control plane is the same, and you can have a huge cluster with all your customers. So definitely for multi-tenant, uh, have a look. And then when you want to compare with Capsule, just think that uh, basically the cluster offers a lot more because it's not only for multi-tenant. You can uh, use it for test dev environments, uh, but uses a bit more resources. You can read about the cluster, but it's very efficient but it still uses um, a bit more resources uh, because it's, you have a virtualization on top of that. And then finally, the list of tools that didn't make it. Uh, again, I go now really quick. Cube Apps is basically like a store, right? Where you can, it's a web-based UI where you can uh, select applications. It's very good to create your list of apps for your organization. Cubesphere, I, it's a huge project. I don't want to get into that. There's it has a nice UI. Uh, it, it basically allows you to manage clusters, users, application. It's a, a whole different thing to think about Kubernetes. Like it has a lot of integrations. It has a, a store app, and you can do pretty much everything. You can create clusters, users, and all that. But for me, it does not follow the GitOps principle, and it's very resource intensive. So I didn't consider it. But to have a look to it is very interesting project. For me, it's like under the hood, it's all based on Ansible. So if you are running Kubernetes, why are you using that? It just didn't make much sense to me. So. Uh, but I didn't spend much time looking at it, but definitely it's a huge project, uh, have a look. And then you have tools, if you want to do X in stress testing, use Havcube Burner. If you want to use Chaos Engineer to random uh, fail, use uh, Litmus. If you want to monitor um, and have push notifications on Slack about something that happens in Kubernetes cluster, use KubeWatch. Uh, bot queues is for messaging, uh, for having bots, uh, and similar to Kubernetes. Watch as well. Uh, and then MISU is for uh, at API traffic uh, viewer, similar to Kiali. Kiali is using, uh, it comes with Istio to monitor the traffic, but MISU is just on API traffic. And then QFledge, it's, uh, um, it's basically an interesting tool. Some must have just installed it and basically creates a cache for your images in your uh, nodes in the cluster. So then the image is cached there, so it doesn't have to go to your 
registry to download the Docker images, right? So uh, that will have it will save you time, and and the pods will start uh, almost instantly, which is really cool. So Kubefledge, a nice to have, use it when possible. Oof. So I think I'm done. Uh, sorry, I'm a bit over time. So. Uh, those are lots of tools, so I will send the slides, just have a look, read the article, and uh, uh, hope this at least uh, caught your interest. Oh, I think I think it definitely did. We got, uh, first of all, you did an amazing job. I can't believe you were able to get through all of those so quickly. Um, but uh, just looking at a couple of questions that I'll share in the chat here on Zoom, um, we had a few of these here. So the first one, Octant is a, also a good alternative to Lens. Are you familiar with that one? Uh, no, so that's another one, but very good. Uh, I haven't looked into Octan, so what I'll do is I'll have a look and probably update the article. So thanks. No, that's good. Uh -huh. and I think because the thing is, like, you know, because uh, being the CNCF and our community is integrated in the CNCF, very often the CNCF landscape gets very overwhelming. But I think also the tooling landscape, mm. I think there's something that can be, you know, maybe worked out here is, is creating like a visual map for all these different tools because it's, it's growing every day, you know, like, and, and new versions get released and things like that. Next question, is it possible to spin up an environment to test branches using Argo CD? And what would be a good way to go about it? Uh, yes, so it's possible. Again, uh, all it does uh, is, is watch a certain repo, right? So the way usually it's set up uh, again is you create a repo per, per environment and then you point it to some other repo. So actually you, you start creating this thing where you watch another repo, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can set up a rules like, uh, again, uh, to be a specific branch if, or master branch. So that's possible. Again, it will depend um, on your branching strategy, right? But Argo CD supports basically watching uh, your main branch or, your, or any other branch. Very good. Then we had another question here. Um, have you had a chance to use Scaffold or something similar in development? What's your opinion on that? Yes, I used it a long time ago. Um, that's a good point. I should have included in the article. Um, and I think it should be an alternative to DevSpace, right? Uh, because it is for your... Um, as far as I remember, Scaffolding, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's for that development experience so you can uh, develop uh, easily um, from local to, um, to to your production uh, cluster, right? And, and uh, so that way it, manage, you know, it will manage the building of the images and so forth. And I think I didn't consider uh, because as far as I know, it was not so GitOps friendly, but definitely I should have added as an alternative but whoever asks if, you know, um, wants to add anything that, that will be appreciated. But yeah, um, I will add it to the article as an alternative. Very, very good. Um, cool. Just for the for the sake of time, uh, I really appreciate all the folks who stayed to the end for, for the questions. That being said, uh, Javier, for people that have other questions or would like to contact you, what's the best or easiest way to do that? Um, to contact me, um, I would say either well, Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, any of the two. And uh, of course, to stay up to date uh, with my articles, because I, at least I create, um, write an article one per month, um, just subscribe uh, um, to, to my articles. There's a link and, and you can subscribe so you get notified when I publish uh, uh, one in medium.com. 
and yeah. uh, and and that's it. And then, of course, feel free to reply to the articles. It's uh, especially if you um, know of another tool, because I, I think this article is is being shared a lot and becoming like a reference for many uh, engineer managers and things like that. So I, I want to make sure I don't miss anything. So those tools, Octan and Scaffold, should be mentioned there. At least, at least my, my idea is that you have one place with all these tools um, where uh, you get an idea of, um, you know, at least to have options. I try to be, uh, you know, uh, as I said, besides being GitOps friendly, then I don't have a strong opinion on, on any of the tools. Very, very good. Anyway, no, we're just getting really nice feedback uh, comments in, in the chat. Javier, can I get you to stop sharing your screen really quickly so that I can share mine? Yeah. Done. Okay. Very, very good. So while you were talking, um, as usual, we have a wonderful, uh, wonderful artist who's working with us. His name is Angel. He goes by Ardi Luthu. And uh, so he created a nice visual summary. Let me know when you can see my screen. Can you see it? Can you see my screen? Yes, maybe. Can you see it? Oh, yes. This is good. awesome. Yeah. So anyway, Angel's awesome. Big shout out to Angel. He's doing a great job. And so, yeah, so obviously there was a lot of stuff to cover in there, but while you were talking, he put that together, a nice visual summary of the different things that were being mentioned. Um, I think this is incredible. I mean, you know, writing blogs isn't easy, putting yourself out there, you know, you, you know, you can get attacked. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of courage that's involved in that. Uh, I think a lot of people can learn from that as well, too. Obviously, the research that you've done to get all these tools out there I, I can't even imagine how many hours has gone, have gone into this presentation, the blog post, but I think it's a really good example of, of what people can be doing on their own while they're interacting with this stuff, documenting their journey. So like you said, that the, that is not so overwhelming. And I really like this concept of accidental complexity. You should write a book with that as the title. I think that'd be really cool because it's, it seems to happen. I think it's a really good point that a lot of people would agree with. Um, yeah. Anyway. Javier, I learned a lot today. It sounds like our, our audience did as well. We're definitely going to continue to follow your articles. Please let us know when you're writing something new and we'll be happy to share it. Um, and thank you very much for your time. Uh, thanks to everyone who, who joined us in the audience. If you want to continue the conversation, I linked Javier's Twitter. Also check him out on Medium. You got the link to the article at the beginning of the session as well. Um, so please, let's keep this going. And hopefully we'll be having you back the next time you write. So thank you very much for, for all your hard work. Thanks for having me. Thank My you, pleasure. Everyone. All right, take care. Bye-bye.